What's up, fight fans? You are listening to MMA Daily, the station where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. I'm Gabriel. You can find me on social media at Double G on TV. And I'm joined by my amazing co-host, Miss Kayla Beatty. Hey, G. Hey, fight fans. Happy Friday. Yeah, TGIF and Kayla, I gotta say, this might be the most packed weekend we've had so far in 2018. What are... Just what do you think of all the action we got going on? (laughs) Well, you're definitely busy tonight, especially. I think I'm going to have more fun, but I'm excited to see you in person in a couple of hours at Combate Americas. Um, But yeah, other than that, we have Bellator tonight. We have UFC tomorrow. It's going to be fun. Yeah, we got so much going on. We'll talk about a lot of stuff where you're probably going to see me and Kayla at the end of the show. But yeah, we have so much news and really just all week, I got to say, I, I'll i be honest, I thought that the news was actually going to be slower because we're just kind of in that days after UFC 223. And really just, I don't know what it is, but everyone seemed to get their act together and we've just had a lot of news breaks. So let's get right into it. The top story, former Invicta FC featherweight champion Megan Anderson will be making her UFC debut against Holly Holm in Chicago. Holly obviously is the former Bantamweight champion, now facing Megan Anderson at 145. The fight is going to take place at UFC 225 on June 9th. And Kayla, you and I have talked a lot about Megan Anderson. You know my stance on it. I think that she is the first woman out there really who's young and new who actually can match the physicality of someone like a Julia Budd and yes a Chris Cyborg that's why there's a lot of hype around her she's a very fun personality a great striker we all know who Holly Holm is shocked the world beating Ronda now has had I guess you could say a very interesting run she's had a few experiments at 145 she struggled at 135 um, let me ask you this. I mean, let's talk about the fight first. What do you think of the matchup? Well, yeah, I'm just excited that we're finally getting to, we have a date for Megan's UFC debut. Cause we know that, you know, it's been some time that we've been waiting, knowing that she's been signed to the UFC, but I don't even know if we ever got an answer of what was going on. I think it was a visa or not a visa issue, but just something, uh, work related, a visa work related, but yeah, it's just nice that we finally have a date for her to fight. Um, I'm, I actually want to commend Holly Holm. I mean, she's staying at 145, and she's taking some pretty risky but also exciting fights. So good for her um, if she feels confident to go in there and welcome Megan back in. I think that that's, um, you know, something to commend her on. And, yeah, I think as far as the actual fight, I mean – We all know Holly Holmes' capability of striking and finishing women. Megan herself is someone that, you know, has wanted to build her career off of trying to go for that finish, trying to really make it a, you know, dirty fight. And and, um, I, I do think that Holly might be a little bit more technical with her striking, but I also know that Megan hasn't used this downtime to just, like, sit around and hang out. She might have been really working on you know, her skills before she makes her debut. And then I'm also excited that it's not, you know, um, her first fight isn't going to be against Chris because I think that the way that the UFC is playing out this division and the plans that they have for these two ladies, 
why have your two probably top sellers in that division duke it out as soon as she makes her UFC debut? Instead, have her fight some big names like Holly, get her feet wet. And, you know, Chris herself has been pretty active. So I think it's good they're spreading out this fight instead of giving Megan that immediate title shot against Chris, even though that's the fight we all want to see. Yeah, I mean, for me, um, stylistically, there's a lot of X factors with Holly and Megan. Um, For Holly, just when I look at the fight with Chris Cyborg as kind of like my baseline for what she could do at featherweight i was very impressed with her gas tank i was very impressed with um her strategy to take on these let's be honest they are bigger athletes i think that um holly does better at 135 that being said like you said she's more technical than megan to me it's really about can megan use that physicality can she set up openings to really you know, get in there, get in the pocket where her strengths can really do work against Holly Holm. That to me is going to be the big question because we haven't seen Megan in a year. So it's really about how much has she improved on a technical level, not necessarily throwing punches, but defending someone who has more tricks in the bag. So I think that, um, for example, her last fight, she did win by knockout, but she did take a lot of hits from someone who is not known for being a very good striker. So I think that to me is going to be the big X factor, exactly how much more polished has Megan become in the time off. Now, I will say, I think that she's got a great team. I'm sure she's prepared, but obviously the proof is going to be when we see her out there. I have a different feeling about Holly Holm, though, Kayla, and I'm going to be honest with you. I think that this is a bad move. I respect to her gamesmanship for taking on an opponent like Megan. But if I'm being honest, I look at the Bantamweight division, it is very shallow. You have the fight between Amanda and Raquel Pennington coming up next month. And after that, it's really, you know, who's left? You have Ketlin Vieira, maybe. But if I'm Holly, in all honesty, I don't think that I'm about to set up a rematch for a, for a belt at 145. If I'm Holly, I would actually go ahead and take on Ketlin and see if I can force my way into a title fight against Amanda just by process of elimination. Amanda's already defeated everybody, pretty much. So now you're kind of left in this limbo, like, where is there really to go? Especially if her heart is not really in moving up to featherweight for that super fight. So I'm a little, you know, offset. Now, I will say this. I am glad that they are signing Megan Anderson. I think anyone who's a real hardcore fan of the sport knows that she is that woman who could carry the torch for featherweights, possibly, after Chris Cyborg. That being said, I'm a little concerned that they didn't get another regular 145-er to come into the division, which, I'm going to say it again, lends to my theory that the UFC is only thinking short-term in the featherweight division, like hey, we're going to have Chris Cyborg for a while. Chris has already beaten all the Bantamweights willing to move up. Let's try maybe signing Megan Anderson to a short fight contract. But now it's the same problem. If you don't have other featherweights, who do you put Megan Anderson in against? It would be another Bantamweight moving up. So it still feels too much like a short-term plan. Yes, it is a big step, but... That, to me, I'm still waiting for the rest of the dominoes to come down because I really still feel like 
the UFC has had enough time to, you know, scout this talent. So that's my one thing. I think that there's exciting fights, and I think that Holly Holm, whether or not she wins or loses with Megan, I think that, one, she's building up a fight night, probably getting paid nicely again, like she did with Chris Cyborg, building her fan base even stronger, giving the UFC a solid by giving them a another exciting fight to add to Chicago. And I think that with all of those factors coming into play, I that's another way that she could, you know, get that title shot against Amanda Nunes at 135 when she decides to go back down. I think that either way that that title shot is, is you know, available to her. Um, as far as, and then who knows? I mean, yeah, I do think that that's the biggest problem is in, in the 145 division is lack of opponents. But we have someone like Amanda Nunes over at Invicta, um, you know, scouting, matchmaking. Maybe there's a grand master plan that the UFC and Invicta have of starting to recruit more 145ers as Chris Cyborg phases out, probably goes to WWE after Ronda Rousey, and Megan becomes the champ. I don't know. we got to just trust that um, 145 is going to stick around, G. I think I'm rubbing off on you because you have a very, very active imagination, Miss Kayla. <laughs> And that's I think I've liking. always had one, and that's why we are such good friends. Uh, uh, Amanda and Chris to WWE. I, I mean, uh, I put it this way. If they do have something, they are playing it very close to the chest. Because I'll, I'll be honest. Let's say I'm a female featherweight in Invicta, and I've been hearing so much about UFC. I'm probably feeling like, you know what? What the heck are you guys waiting for, man? You know, I'd be getting frustrated just even having to answer questions about it because they played it so close to the chest. Um, Before we move on, let's talk about uh, real quick. Let's say Megan Anderson defeats Holly Holm. Do you think she gets a title shot over possibly Amanda Nunes if they both win their next fights? Um, I mean, yeah, I think that'll be available to her. It'll just, you know, be a matter of what she wants to do if she wants a couple more fights, you know, um, before Chris, I think that just a few things have to play out. We have to see what happens with, you know, Amanda's next fight, but all, yeah, they're all right there for a title shot. I think we know that Megan has that, um, you know, probably already was offered a shot with Chris, but I like, I prefer that they like spread it out instead of making it happen too soon. Mm. Unfortunately, uh, I really want the fight with Megan and Chris already. I feel like that's been a long time in the making. That being said, I actually think what's going to happen is they're going to do the Amanda super fight first. For this reason, let's say Amanda wins. You have a female two-division champion. If she can pull off a monumental upset. If she loses... You don't lose anything by sending her back to her normal weight class at 135 and we just say, well, yeah, that was just a failed experiment. Like, BJ Penn's run at lightweight isn't diminished just because he lost badly to George St. Pierre when he went up to 170 to try to get the belt. So I think it could be that kind of case and just the UFC milks that super fight. Because let's say you, let's say you do throw in Megan Anderson right there against Chris. If she loses, well, you kind of already burned through one of your super fights. So I think that's, to me, why even though the fight with Megan makes way more sense competitively, 
I think Amanda, she wins, can probably get that next title shot. But I will always go back to this. I remember watching the fan Q&A and someone asked her, would you want to fight Chris Cyborg? Amanda immediately said, no, 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 no. I am way too small. That hasn't changed. The only thing that has changed is she can make more money fighting Chris now. I think that's why it's become a thing. So that's my thoughts on it. Um, if both of them win, I think Amanda gets it just because of marketing reasons. But Megan Anderson would be the better fight. Oh, my gosh. Matchmaking. I, I mean, I don't know how Joe Silva didn't get more gray hair by the time he was done, man. It's a very weird <laughs> business, don't you think? Yeah, that is, <laughs> that's an interesting question out there. Maybe he just has a great hairstylist. Or maybe yeah. that's why he, you know, retired. He's like, wait, I'm starting to get more grays. UFC's getting too complicated. <laughs> Like I don't need this now. They're gonna now they want to put me on two networks and I got a match make with only one division. I'm out. <laughs> of course, until that's official, we're not gonna even break down all that. But we are aware that you know there's some rumblings about the new UFC deal. I think it's all preliminary. But one thing that is confirmed, Kayla, in our backyard, we have quite an event coming. TJ Dillashaw versus Cody Garbrandt, the rematch in L.A. This one, UFC 227 on August 4th. They announced it at last Friday's press conference. We all know by now, TJ Dillashaw was expected to face Mighty Mouse Demetrius Johnson in a super fight at 125, but negotiations apparently just came to a dead end. And, of course, Johnson has been out with a shoulder surgery he is still recovering. There's no timetable yet for his return. Um, Really, just Kayla now, TJ didn't want the rematch with Cody because he felt like Cody has to earn his way back like he did. But instead, here we are. What do you think of this fight? Yeah, um, I mean, I'm glad we're getting it. We have obviously wanted to see number two, and it's super cool that it's in, like you said, our backyard in Los Angeles. Um, I think I kind of look at this fight similar to Rose and Ioana. It stinks that people want to question, like, whether or not TJ just got lucky. Um, but that's why we want to play it back a second time around. And we know these guys have true beef. We know these guys are both super skilled. Um, so, yeah, we want to see that second fight just because it's fun and there's so much, um, you know, buildup. I think that it's going to be interesting to see how Cody comes back after he's, he's the one who just had an injury, right? With his um, back. I mean, not just, but yeah, yes, yes, yes. He was out for the year because of his back. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. So it'll just be interesting to see him come back um, after that. Um, I think both men are in an interesting place, you know, both becoming fathers. I, I don't know. It's going to be fun, but. Yeah, I'm just having very similar feelings to Ioana and Rose. I don't want to take anything away from TJ because just like Rose, he went in there and, you know, won his belt back. Um, But I want to see this fight go longer because both guys are so technical and really are going to be going for that knockout because they're so hungry for that, you know, to either keep their belt or take or Cody take it back. So... It's just going to be exciting, and I hope it goes longer than, what, the second round? Yeah. When you knocked him out? Yep. What do you think, G? 
Um, to me, the disconnect um, doesn't come from the whole, you know, Cody like deserve like the luck, the fluke win or something like that. Like um, with the Rose and Yana situation, to me, the real disconnect for this fight is in the fact that it kind of feels like it's materialized out of nowhere. Um, it's not that it's a bad matchup. It is a very fun fight at the end of the day, stylistically. But to me, I feel like mentally, all of us had really moved on. Oh, TJ is going to fight Mighty Mouse. Or if not Mighty Mouse, then we're still waiting on Jimmy Rivera, who's still on this crazy win streak. Or Marlon Moraes, who made, um, what's his name, Aljamain Sterling do the dab in a knockout in that crazy clip. You were thinking, there's so many different options that the Cody fight, um, not that... I don't want to say didn't make sense, but it's really not one that people were really thinking about anymore. And for Cody, you're just wondering, like, well, what's up? Like, is he trying to campaign for a rematch? Is he looking to get the odd person out in the Bantamweight division? I really feel like this one kind of came together out of the circumstances. And I'm going to talk about it right now. Um, First off, with the fight, um, real quick. I think it's great. I think they bring in, similar to Rose and Joanna, a lot of the same things that made the first matchup so interesting. Cody has great power, but I think TJ just tit for tat is a more complete fighter in terms of his skills. It's just about how they implement their specific athletic gifts and strategy. I think that favored TJ the first time, but I think you saw exactly why you can't count out a guy like Cody in this fight so it is still a fun one but to me you have the title eliminator between jimmy rivera and marlon Moraes taking place on june 1st i don't think it's out of the question that something happens to one of them and the winner of that one could step in in august but to me um i don't know i feel like where do you go from here in the bantamweight division do you make the trilogy or do you go with someone else let me toss that to you you mean after their fight? Yeah. If, let's say, Cody were to win, or even if TJ gets the victory, like, do you try to make Mighty Mouse happen again, or do you move on to Jimmy or Marlon? No, I think if TJ wins, then you, you know, stick to having him defend his belt in the division. And I know that, like, very similar to the Ioana, you know, you've said it, other people have said it, why is he getting an immediate rematch? He got knocked out. But just like Ioana was so dominant and, and, you know, out of respect, I think should have gotten that immediate rematch. I think that we have to respect Cody Garbrandt, too. He was able to take out Dominic Cruz, who nobody could do. No one could do that to him. And he picked him apart. So, yes, he got knocked out by TJ. But I think that there should be some respect and skill there that he was able to take out the champion before that, um, you know, and do it in, in a way that no one else could. So I think that's why, to me, the second fight um, is he deserves a, an immediate rematch and why I still find it exciting is I want to see those skills come into play and see, you know, if TJ got lucky or, or if Cody can come back with a rebuttal that's better. But I think that, um, yeah, if TJ, similar to Rose, can show, no, I'm – really the real champ and um you know i can beat him twice then i don't really i don't think i'd have interest in a trilogy yeah i think it's gonna come down to performance how do they perform is it 
Do you feel like you can get excited about it a third time when it's all said and done? I think that's going to really be the issue. And um, yeah, Bantamweight is a weird one because you felt like there was a lot of mobility, but lately it's feel like it's stalled. So I'm hoping by the time these two get in there that there's going to be a little more clarity and just more of a path in terms of the contenders because there are still a lot of guys doing work at the weight class. It's just... I think it's fallen a little by the wayside with all the other activity going on in the other divisions. Moving on, this one, I, I'm i not going to lie. I, I couldn't even talk about it when people would ask. I just kind of, it, it just made me laugh the way it played out. Nick Diaz's suspension is over on April 19th, which means he can return to action just six days from now. So he accepted a one-year suspension from USADA because he kept not informing them of his location for his random drug test in 2017. Because of that, USADA did hand him a one-year suspension. It's essentially like, hey, you got to play by the rules. Otherwise, we do dish out some disciplinary action. Diaz now pretty much at the time when it was announced, he did this 10 days before his suspension is over. It's retroactive, which means if he was suspended on April 19, 2017, that means his suspension, no matter how long it takes him to fight it, still starts on that date. So he's already, he could come back to action later this month if he wants to. Kayla, just what do you think about the way it all played out that, you know, he's going to fight the suspension and now he just accepts it when it's already over? I think it's so gangster, and of course Nick Diaz is, is going to have his suspension play out this way. I mean, in my mind, look, we he is not the most eloquent fellow. He is a great fighter, but he is not the most philosophical on the mic. But let's be very honest, you know, this was not his manager. Someone informed him he could do this, and he was like, well, sure, like... Oh, okay, yeah, I'll accept the suspension. Is it over tomorrow? It's like, oh, my God. Like, he knew what he was doing. I just find that so funny that, like, there's the big show of, oh, he could be retired. This could be the end. And technically, if he wants, he could come back next week. I think that's just I, – I, I can't – I just shake my head like, oh, my God, that's just diabolically genius on his part, If you know, just to let it play out that way. Um, so here's the thing. He could come back. I'll be honest. I'm not sure that he will very soon just because of, um, matchups who, you know, he doesn't similar to his little brother. He doesn't want to come back unless he's getting paid and it's a big fight. So it is tough, but hypothetically, let's say Nick Diaz comes back. Who would you want him to fight? I mean, there's so many, uh, matchups there that obviously get everyone excited. I love the idea of GSP just because, I mean, who knows if GSP is going to continue fighting. That's been kind of up in the air. Um, But that to me would be a super fight for both guys to have before they actually do retire um, and hang up the gloves. Um, What are other big ones that people threw out? I mean, I don't know. I was going to ask, are are those sirens in the background, the cops looking for Nick? Did he forget to notify you, Sada, again? I hope not. Um, <laughs> I didn't realize that the sound gets picked up that badly. But anyway, okay. um, 
Yeah, I guess GSP would be my pick. What about you, G? Uh, that would be such a fun one, but in my honest opinion, I just don't think GSP is interested in that one. That's the one thing hindering it. Uh, Tyron he wants Woodley. super fights. Yeah, I mean, but GSP's already beaten Nick. He doesn't have anything to gain from beating him again at this stage. I think and that, um, paycheck. I think that GSP would be better served fighting a guy like Tyron Woodley. Less drama, still a big fight. Nick is popular, but he's not more popular than his little brother at this stage, if I'm being honest. Um, I don't know. I, the internet it, went pretty crazy. It's a big fight, but it's not the biggest fight. That's what I'm just trying to get at. I'm not saying it wouldn't, you know, be quite the story. It's just I feel like there's bigger fights for GSP that are more realistic, if we're being honest. I will say this, though. Like, this one might sound a little less, um, what's it called? I guess it makes less sense when you look at the rankings and what have you, but we know that doesn't matter. I think he could very easily get a fight with Tyron Woodley. I think that Woodley wants a big fight with a big name. And respectfully, I really think that um, he could say, look, RDA and Colby can wait. They'll get their shot when I'm ready. Right now, I'm going to take this fight with Nick Diaz because it's a super fight. And I don't think that one is completely out of the question. Just because I feel like even though the welterweight division has a lot of guys doing well, there's not that real, genuine star in there besides Tyron, but I think Nick brings a certain X factor that would bring interest to a fight. So I think that Nick could get that fight if Tyron Woodley feels like he's just not really that interested in RDA or Colby. So you want to go with the circus of someone coming back after not fighting for so long and getting an immediate title shot. I mean, what's the worst that could happen? He throws a dolly at the bus? <laughs> no, that's not his style. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not going to lie. If I'm being honest, I really like Mike Perry. What he said is like, you know, I want to fight Nick Diaz. We just hang out, smoke weed all week, and then kick each other's ass on Saturday. In my opinion, that sounds like a lovely idea. I don't think that Nick is going to take that paycheck, but I, I like that fight more than a lot of them, to be honest, just on the style and circumstances. So I do think that it is more likely. I think, yes, it's a circus, but Tyron wants that kind of fight. He wants that big one that everyone's talking about because that's more attention for him. So that's why I think it is a possibility. Well, I think the big thing to do is just to look out on Twitter I think, um, you know, the Diaz brothers are notorious for kind of just tweeting out their own news before they talk to media. So I'm sure everyone will be glued to him and Nate's Twitter account on the 19th in six days. I mean, if I'm Nick, I just go crazy on Twitter. I have someone Photoshop some pictures of me against GSP, Tyron, Conor McGregor, Robert Whitaker, Max Holloway. Just let the fans just blow their minds. Just, oh my gosh, is this going to happen? I think just mess with everybody. If I'm Nick Diaz, that's what I would do. Kayla, our final story before we start talking about predictions, because it is a loaded weekend. Brock Lesnar re-signs with the WWE, but there's this caveat. He can still take one UFC fight, even if he's under contract. So 
very convoluted. If you are fans of pro wrestling, you probably understand it better than we do. But essentially, his contract was supposed to be up after the WrestleMania last week, where he competed the same night as Ronda Rousey. It was thought that he was going to lose his belt in the match that he had. And after that, he would be a free agent and he could come back to UFC. WWE surprised a lot of people by choosing to re-sign him to his contract. But he is still allowed, just like the last time he returned for UFC 200, to come back and take one fight in the UFC if he really wants to. Now, his WWE deal is set to expire at the latest next year or could end short term. It depends on when they decide to book him. Kayla, this is one of those everybody, I I think this just speaks to his star power and that, I'll call it mystique that he has as a character, um, as an athlete in the sport. What do you think about the whole Brock Lesnar situation now that we have some more clarity on his future? Um, what do I think about it? I mean, I think it's kind of silly. I think that he needs to stay over with WWE. Yes, he had a nice run in the UFC and obviously helped build some of the, um, you know, fan base over there. But I just feel like the UFC has, or MMA has evolved past him. Um, and, and just because I don't think that he's been focusing his, you know, time and attention on actually training in MMA. Um, and, you know, I, I don't want to, I'm not going to get excited over fighters that aren't fighting clean. I think that the fact that his last fight, he couldn't even fight clean. Why, how am I going to be confident in him coming over to the UFC when the, you know, heavyweight division is so stacked right now with new young talent that would be happy to welcome him in. And I think that if he does have one fight back, I'd love to see him fight Francis Ngannou. I want to step in there clean and go against one of the scariest, heaviest hitters uh, in heavyweight history, maybe. Kayla, what did Brock Lesnar do to you? That's just mean. (laughs) What do you think? I think that Kayla doesn't like Brock Lesnar. Cheaters. Uh, I don't like cheaters. You know what? Okay, so um, I want to acknowledge the fact that, like, I always think it sounds salty to just knock a guy um, who's a big star and would be bringing a lot of attention and he wants to compete. Um, CM Punk is a different story, and I always am okay <laughs> explaining it, like, why I, don't, why I think that's a bad idea. Brock Lesnar is way more athletically gifted. That's what covered a lot of his deficits and his skills when he was in UFC. Um, Similar to yourself, to me, it's... um, Brock Lesnar wants a UFC fight. I'm going to say, though, that does not mean he wants to be a UFC fighter. I'm sure... I think that for him as an... The reason why he entertains this, because as an individual, I do think he genuinely likes the idea of testing himself as a man. I don't think he likes, like some other athletes, the media attention, the obligations, and the schedule. And if we're being honest, the real genuine grind of training. But I do think he likes the idea of being able to test himself. And if you're in a star of his caliber, why wouldn't you take advantage of the UFC platform if they're giving it to you? Now, like I said, the reason he moved to WWE again a lot of different reasons. His health, 
But also, honestly, like you said, the skills. The guys have only gotten better since Brock Lesnar has been out. So I think that has kind of eased his decision with saying, I don't want to get in there and take on Stipe, DC, Nganu, Kane, um, Alexander Volkov, all these guys in a row, if I were actually serious about fighting in UFC again. So that, to me, is the big part of it. I think that Brock only does this as a sideshow. It's not because he's actually serious about coming back. And then the cheating thing. Um, look, there's no... Uh, okay, he... You're in WWE. You take whatever you want to take to look as jacked as you want to look. I'm okay with that. That's kind of the whole point of pro wrestling, at least part of it in my opinion. If you're going to do that in MMA, you got to respect the fact that you're stepping in there with guys who have committed just as much, if not more time, to this sport as you have to your pro wrestling how are you going to disrespect them by saying, oh, just because I'm Brock Lesnar and I got to go back to WWE, I'm going to juice myself up just, you know, or I'm going to keep taking whatever I'm taking for the simple fact that, um, you know, I know this is a one time thing. I think that's very disrespectful. I'm not a fan of that. Um, I think that if Brock is going to come back, you give the other fighters who've committed time and hard work that you should be able to understand and respect them and be a clean athlete also. I think that there's no question why he was taking the drugs. It was because he's still a pro wrestler. He wanted to look good, and he was coming in uh, after not training for a long time, seriously. So, yeah, it's if he comes back, give him a great fight. I like Nganu. I like Derek Lewis for him. There's so, several fun matchups, but I can't get invested on a long-term Brock Lesnar thing. I think if he comes back, you got to acknowledge that he's only going to be there once and probably gone for another two years. I think they should save him as a backup for when they need to save a card. Um, gee, I was just informed by my roommate that a complex apartment a few doors down is caught on fire, and that's why all the, all the sirens are going off. So I don't want to pull... Uh, Henry Cejudo and be stuck in my apartment as much as I wanted to. So let's finish up the segment by just, I guess, giving our quick picks for the main and co-main, but maybe not breaking them down. Don't scare me like that. Now I'm worried for you. Okay, well, let's get off the phone so I can make <laughs> All sure. Right. Okay. Real quick, top to bottom, uh, UFC Glendale, Dustin Poirier versus Justin Gaethje. Who do you have? I have Dustin Poirier. I'm gonna say. Um, I'm gonna say a finish in the late third. I got Poirier too. I think he's just got more tricks in the bag to take out Justin Gaethje's firepower. Um, Carlos Condit, Alex Oliveira. Oh man. Um. I don't know. I just have a feeling that Carlos has, like, one more run in him. I think he's going to get some tricky knockout. What about you? Carlos, by decision, I think that he's going to be more dialed in than he was against Neil Magny. All right. And, so for uh, also, Alex is taking this on short notice in one week, too. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Bell- All right. So, a lot of fun stuff. Israel Adesanya, Michelle Watterson, uh, Yushin Okami coming back. Big card. We'll recap that one on Monday. Bellator 197, Michael Chandler versus Brandon Gertz. 
Um, I mean, Michael Chandler's just on another level and super hungry and angry to get his revenge against uh, the current champ, Primus, even though I think it's going to be a tough fight for him because Brandon Gertz seems also focused and just tough as hell. I think Michael Chandler, I'm going to say, um, um, I don't know, something, well, something's telling me decision. I got Michael Chandler too. too. Brandon Kurt's record doesn't reflect how tough and good a guy he is. That being said, he's taken on a beast on short notice. And um, you've ne- you, regardless of Michael Chandler's results, he's never failed to be very well prepared for a fight. I think he's got the tools in the bag to give Brandon some problems. I have decision. Um, AJ McKee versus Justin Lawrence. I think that AJ, both of these guys are well-rounded and, you know, superior strikers, but I think AJ's been, you know, at Team Body Shop and BFFs with a bunch of superior wrestlers. I think we're going to see some of his groundwork come into play this fight, so I'm saying AJ by finish. I have AJ too. I think that um, both, like you said, both well-rounded. I think that AJ, though, is a little faster, a little more creative and i think he just makes it uh, he puts it together a lot smoother than justin i think that's the big difference so i have aj actually um i'm i'm thinking second round finish too but okay okay so there you have it fans first off kayla please stay safe i know we can find you at fangirl underscore mma fans you can find me on social media double g on tv Kayla, I know you are not going to get burnt to a crisp. I will see you tonight. <laughs> Fans, tune in to my social media. I will be reporting backstage at Combate Americas in Los Angeles. So be on the lookout for the feed on my YouTube channel. Also, Kayla and I will be back Monday to recap an insane weekend of MMA action. We'll see you guys next time.